Good morning, Assault Church. Hope you're doing well. As Paul said, my name is Andrew Kappenman, and I am one of the church planning residents on staff here at Salt Church, and we'll have the privilege of getting to be one of the pastors at 1002 Church in Orlando. And we are so, so excited about what the Lord is doing. Like Paul said, he has just been faithful throughout this entire process. This process for Patrick and I began in fall of 2019. It was a long time ago. Worldwide pandemic kind of happened in the middle of there, right? And so it's just been a long time coming, and there's been so many people praying and so many people who have been lifting us up, uh, our families, and uh, it has just been a huge, huge blessing. And we do. We want to invite you to, to pray about what it might mean for you to go to Orlando. We will have a vision trip this coming up weekend. Uh, in Orlando at UCF that you can take part in. There's a sign-up sheet at one of the QR codes out on the uh, table outside of the, this room. But it may be you taking that next step in obedience um, to going down the road to say, Lord, we know that the gospel needs to go to college campuses and to different cities. Would you be a part of that? I remember uh, saying that to my wife for the first time of like, what does it look like for us to plant a church with the Chandlers? We're like, we have no idea. But we wanted to put our yes on the table. I've been doing collegiate ministry for a long, long time, and we constantly, constantly preached. Be obedient, put your yes on the table, and let the Lord guide you and lead you to what may be next. And I was like, how can we not do that? And how can we not do what we've been preaching for so long? And so that's what we did. So 1002 Church Orlando has happened. The Chandlers and, and us are, are getting together um, to, to do that. We would like to introduce you to another part of our team that has happened within the last few months. Um, this is Mike and Morgan Johnson. Uh, this is going to be our SALT director for UCF. And we are excited to get to share that. Mike and Morgan uh, were a part of uh, Patrick's staff when he worked in Omaha. And, uh, and it has a desire to to disciple uh, people and uh, to be a part of the campus. And we're excited for them to come down. That is uh, their two little boys, uh, Baby Mike, which is about as big as Big Mike, and he's only like a year old, um, but, and then Michonne. But uh, we are super pumped that they're going to come down. All of our families will be moving uh, to the Orlando area in December. And so a lot, of that, a lot of stuff has to happen. We were blessed this week. A lot of you have been praying, but our family was blessed this week to finally find a home that we're going to be moving to. And so praise the Lord for that. Um, we are, it's such a huge stress relief for us, but the Chandlers and uh, Mike and Morgan, they, uh, the Johnsons, still have to find a home. So continue to pray. We know that the Lord is faithful. We know that he's going before us, and we're just walking in obedience, seeing what he may do. And so we are excited about that, and it's exciting just to kind of to give you updates. But if you would like to know more about the vision trip this coming up weekend, we're going to meet at UCF's campus Saturday morning at 8, uh, walk around, pray, uh, and hang out together. So come find me afterwards. I'll be out there by the table. I can talk to you about that. But if you have your Bible... Go ahead. Paul wants me to preach this morning. I could talk about 1002 Church the entire time. And uh, Salt Company, you may get to hear a lot about that Thursday night because I get to preach on missions to you Thursday. And so uh, just get ready. But this morning, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is continuing in his letters to the Corinthian church, um, and he is just constantly dealing with issues that are arising within their body. That has been the, the theme so far, that there's some disunity, there's some division, um, there's a lot of things happening, and Paul's trying to bring them all back together. He's like, hey, you're a church in a major area that needs to take the gospel forward, that needs to be the, the light bearers 
to your city. But there's some things happening that is causing you not to do that well. And so we see this passage is more than my 11 verses that I get are kind of put right into a sandwich between um, Paul talking to the Corinthian church about the sexual immorality that they are dealing with as a body of Christ. Um, and we, we have a little bit of that in, in our message this morning, but it's kind of squished in the middle with a bigger and broader subject. And so what I'd like to do is I want to read through the passage, and then we are going to just kind of walk through this verse by verse or a few verses at a time and see what Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, how does that mold us into be faithful followers today? So if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. These lights are really bright, and I have to lean my Bible forward so I can read it. And so, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do not appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother and that before unbelievers. As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so Paul, in this passage, he is continuing to address the behaviors within the Corinthian church that is adding to their problem of division. It's just things like things are kind of snowballing on top of each other. It seems like the Corinthian church is just dealing with one thing after another. I was getting picked on by Burke and Caleb in between services because anytime I use an illustration... A lot of times football is going to come up into the illustration. Okay, guys, I like football a lot. And so it's just easy, right, to, to use that illustration. But it's almost like a football game when things just kind of compound on each other, right? Y'all are laughing at me, and I get it. You can laugh. But it's like a football game when one thing goes wrong. If you've ever played the sport or any type of sport, when one thing goes wrong, it seems like, okay, what's happening? And then the next thing goes wrong. And then the next thing goes wrong. And then all of a sudden, everything is kind of going awry and, and, and people are pointing at each other and it's, it's your fault that this is happening. It's your fault that this is happening. And, and everything just starts to disunify the team. And ultimately, if they could just come together and be unified together, they could get through certain problems and certain situations. But everybody is so upset with one another that their pointing fingers is causing division. And that is what we see within the Corinthian church, that there are these issues that Paul is trying to te teach them and, and, and like point out in their lives. And Paul's upset because we, he has a bunch of believers within the Corinthian church that are taking their brothers and sisters to court over trivial matters. And they have a bunch of believers acting like unbelievers. He's like, why is this happening? 
You're in Corinth. Corinth needs to have a church who follow Jesus and follows Jesus faithfully so they, they see the light of the gospel so that their hearts may be changed just like yours has. So I hope that you will see what I think Paul is hoping for the Corinthian church here in our main idea this morning, that he is trying to have a call to wisdom and maturity in the life of the Corinthian church. A call to wisdom and spiritual maturity. It takes a lot to grow in wisdom and maturity just in our, in our lives, and we need that through his word. And as I've already read this morning, we can hear Paul and his wording that he would hope that the church would be more mature in how they are acting because they're not acting like it. They're letting these small things divide them. And you can see that from the very beginning of this passage in verse 1. It says, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Why are you taking these trivial matters before unbelievers? And one thing that we need to make clear this morning is that these disputes that the believers are having with each other in the Corinthian church, these are small disputes. These are small things. This is not like murder or, or doing something serious of stealing or, or harming someone else. This is like small stuff. It's like, come on, he, he like, he's, he's borrowed my lawnmower and he, he has not like brought it back to me yet kind of things, right? Like this is, like, this is the type of thing that we are, are dealing with. These are small matters, like minor disagreements. And what Paul is saying is like, why in the world are you taking these small things that you should be mature enough and have wisdom enough to know to handle together? You're not handling them on your own, but not only that, you're taking them to people who don't even know Jesus. Like they're unbelievers, they're unrighteous. They're taking each other to court about these things. It's like, this is so small. Why can't we just have a conversation, kind of deal with it, love each other, not slander each other or bring anybody down? I mentioned shows like, court shows like Judge Judy and like this new Steve Harvey one in my first service and like no one had ever heard before. Like, Am I, I'm getting old, right? Anybody know what Judge Judy is? Right, okay, Judge Judy, right? And there's a new Steve Harvey one where he's a judge and it's really funny. Um, but it's like, you see these court cases that they're bringing into these afternoon like court shows and you're like, what in the world are these people doing? I think I saw one where a brother was like suing his sister because, or his sister was suing her brother because he hustled her in like a game of pool or something like that. Like this is the type of stuff that we're seeing in the Corinthian church, like small matters and they're taking each other to court about them. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Like, these are small things, and you're going to people who are unrighteous, not before people of the saints. Like, do you think that they're going to know better than you? Do you think that they will know how to handle these situations better than those who have wisdom in Christ? I was like, what are you doing? Think about it this way. I love all things like jets and spaceships, like... I wanted to be in the movie Top Gun, like those types of things, right? Like I grew up, my dad was in the Air Force and he worked on fighter jets and I dreamt about like being in the cockpit of a jet one day or flying a spaceship or something. And then when I was in first grade or something like that, I started coloring grass and trees brown and it was quickly found out that I was colorblind or like, okay, this is not gonna work for you, kid. And so like my dreams just kind of went down the tube. That didn't stop me from my love for those types of things. 
Like, I still love jets. I still like watching air shows. I still want to see, like, a bucket list thing of mine is to see a rocket shot into space as I'm going to Orlando. So hopefully that's going to get marked off the list. But there's this one spaceship called the Artemis. If you have heard of it, this is going to get nerdy for a second. But the Artemis that they're getting ready to launch within the next month, and they're going to send it to space. And they're going to send it to the moon with the hopes of, like, going to the moon again and to setting up shop and having like, I don't know, 7-Elevens on the moon. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but it seems cool. But it was supposed to launch about a month ago. They had it all up to the dock. The smoke was coming out of the bottom. They were preparing to launch, and the countdown had started. And they're doing, it was like a three or so minutes in, and about a minute and 30 seconds, I think, if I was watching it right, about a minute and 30 seconds in, they, they called it off. They're like, hey, we got to abort the launch. Because there's something happening. There is a leak in the system somewhere, right? Dirty things. We need to abort the rocket launch. And so, now I love rockets, and I, I love everything, and I know a little bit about them. But, like, what is happening, if you take this from what we see in the past and what we see here, it's like those people who are getting ready to launch that rocket coming to me saying, hey, what is going wrong with our rocket? Why is it not ready to launch? I would have no idea how to answer those questions. Yes, I love them. I, like, I love watching it and, and seeing them on TV and all that stuff. But I have no idea how to fix it or to give them any advice to what they need to do. And that's what Paul is saying. You have all these disagreements among you, and they are small, minor things. And what you're doing is you're taking them to people who have no idea how to answer your questions or how to help you in any way. This is what Paul is trying to get across. He's like, you should know how to be able to handle these situations yourself. And even Paul's background is adding to this. Paul grew up as a Jew, a Jew among, like a, a head Jew who, who knows all these types of things. And what happened in, for the Jews was the Romans would give the Jewish people rule and reign over their own people. So they were allowed to judge Trivial matters, but even bigger matters, as such as murder and stealing and those types of things. And so Paul was looking at himself like, man, I've grown up always having the wisdom and knowing to go to wisdom to be able to handle these situations. How much more now that I know Christ are we able to do these things? But that's not what you're doing as a church. You are running um, and you are driving all these situations to the unrighteous. And he's looking at me, he's like, you should be mature enough. You should know how to handle these situations. And he even gives some weight to that in verses two and three. He says, or do you not know, in verse two, on verse two, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that you will judge angels? Like, wait, what? We're gonna judge the world and we're gonna judge angels? What does that mean? In, verses, uh, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, we can see that Jesus says to the disciples there, he says, Truly I say to you in the, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me and will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And in Revelation 3, 21, it says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down my father on his throne. And so what Jesus is doing is, he is drawing his people back to him and saying, Hey, you are going to sit by me. You are going to see me rule and judge the world when I come back again. And you're going to be right there with me because I'm approving you to do that. 
Because you're going to have all knowledge and all wisdom that I have. And it might sound crazy to think, okay, when Jesus comes to set up a new heaven and a new earth, it means everything that he is creating, he is going to rule and he's going to judge over, and we get to sit by him and do that and approve him because of the way that he has changed our lives. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and our relationship with him, we will be able to sit and approve him in that. We will be participants with Christ when he judges the world. And so what Paul is saying, do you not know this is who you're going to be? One day when I come back again, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge and rule the world. You're going to be alongside me. If that's going to be you, why can't you handle these small things right now? Why are you running to worldly wisdom and trying to handle these situations rather than running to me and to gain that wisdom and spiritual maturity? We are sinners saved by grace and a child of God. We have all wisdom and knowledge and the opportunity to know those things just as Jesus knew them. He imputes that in us with his righteousness and with his spirit living with inside of us. So why are we taking these matters to the world is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. And the thing is, as the church today, we will do the same thing. When we start having conflict among each other, what do we do? We run to this random person who doesn't know anything about the situation, might not even be a believer, is like, this is what this person did to me. What do you say? That person will be like, you should get them back, right? Like, you should get them back. You should do this. They should know that you're, you were wronged. That's not what Paul is saying. He's like, no, you should have godly wisdom. Not, we need to lean into Christ. We need to learn how to deal with conflict in a godly, godly way. Not run from it, but handle it with maturity and wisdom. He's like, if this is who you're going to be and you're going to be by my side to judge the world, that you're able to do that and judge over angels in the new heavens, the new earth, how much more are the matters of this life are you able to have wisdom and knowledge to be able to reconcile with each other? I feel like I lack so many times because of my nature as a human being. If I've been wronged or if I've been cheated, I'm like, no, they're going to get theirs. That is our nature, right? I may be only speaking about myself, but that's just who we are. And we see a pretty condemning statement from Paul in verses four through six about this matter. He says, how much more are the matters of this life? So if you have these matters, if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing within the church? Like, why are you appointing worldly people to judge over these things? He says in verse 5, I say this to your shame. It's kind of like that, that phrase that parents uses over their children, you know, when you've done something wrong. He's like, I'm very disappointed in you. You know, like, that was like worse than getting like spanked or something, right? If y'all feel me in that way, like my heart like, like break, broke when I was a kid. Like, ah, oh, I messed up. Paul is looking at the Corinthian church. Says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between fellow believers. But instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. Is there not anyone wise among you? Like if you're not mature enough yourself, if you don't have the wisdom 
among yourself and among each other enough to handle these small matters? Is there not just one person amongst your church that could help arbitrate for you on your behalf? Man, I pray that that is not us today. I pray that this room would be filled with people who know Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit, are growing in wisdom and maturity every single day so that when these things arise, that we can handle them in a godly way. And if you are a human, and we all are humans in this room, conflict and divisional things and small matters such as these things are going to enter our church today just as much as they're entering the Corinth church. And if we don't think that those things are going to happen, then we're living in a lie because they are. If it's not happening now, just wait till next month. And if it's not happening next month, then guess what? It's going to happen next year. Because guess what? We are humans. We still are living fleshly beings. We still sin. So this should sting a little bit when Paul is looking at the Corinthian church. Like, is there not one of you among uh, you that can arbitrate these things? It reminds me multiple times in uh, collegiate ministry when I was uh, working at a university in Mississippi where uh, a ton of our students uh, within the ministry, they're obviously, you throw college students, 150 of them in a room, there's always going to be some type of division or someone's not going to like each other. Like, it's, it's going to happen. But there's so many times where a student would come to me, come into my office and be like, Cappy, uh, that's a nickname, uh, Cappy, this is what this person did to me. Like, all right, have you talked to him? Nope. Well, that might be a start, right? Why haven't you talked to them? Oh, I'm just so angry. I'm so mad. And, and they just didn't know how to deal with it. And, and they just kind of lacked words to go to a person to talk to them. And then me and my associate director would sit down with them. We're like, okay, if, you, if you've tried to talk to them or if you haven't tried to talk to them, if you need us to sit with you to kind of ask questions, to get you to talk together, we, we can do that for you. And most of the time, within the first two or three minutes of the, the meeting, everything would be fine. People would be crying. They would hug it out. And guess what? Everything would be great. And so Paul is looking to, to the leaders and, and to the people of the Corinth church like, like, why not have wise people among you? Why aren't there any spiritually mature people among you that could arbitrate these things? It'd be like taking one of those situations within our ministry at the university I work for and, and those students taking it to the dean of the school that they are a part of. The dean of the college would be sitting there in his office like, why are you in here talking to me about this? I'm sorry, I don't know how to answer these questions for you, but that is what they're doing. They're taking these small matters to people in the world who have no idea how to answer their questions. This would be weird for them to do this. This should be the glaring part of this passage that we need mature and wise leadership in our lives. It has to happen. Not only do we need mature and wise leadership in our lives, we need to be those people who are in Christ, who are growing in that wisdom, in that spiritual maturity, so that we can help brothers and sisters walk alongside Christ better. Paul is calling them out. You need to grow. You need to know Jesus more so that you can handle these situations. Paul is looking at the Corinthian church and sees so many things that need to be worked on so many things that are happening and that are causing division amongst the church. And what is the church doing? They're running to the world to solve their problems. We are told in 1 Peter 2, 
that yes, we are to live under human authority. We're supposed to live under those who make the laws and to, to follow those things. We just can't go out and steal someone's car, all those types of things. We're supposed to live under human authority and those means. However, by no mean do we need to, the world to show us how to live in truth, how to live in love. That comes from Christ. By no means do we need the world to show us truth or how we are to live. That comes straight from this book that we are able to hold and read daily. Like as his spirit is working within our hearts and within our minds as we read this, we will know how to deal with situations. We'll know how to deal with conflict in our lives. Whether that is conflict with a friend, whether that is conflict within your family, whether there is hurt and resentment towards a, a mother or a father, we can gain spiritual maturity and wisdom from this word as the Lord works through us because Hebrews 4.12 says that the word is living and it is active. It's moving in our lives today. And we can run to it. We can dive into it daily and allow it to just filter into our lives. We need to learn from it, grow from it, so that we may grow into mature followers of Christ. What is happening for the, in the church at Corinth is not good for them in their time, and it is not good for us today. If we acted in the same way today, it would be detrimental to Salt Church. It'd be detrimental to 1002 church if we lived in this matter. Paul says in verse 7, he proclaims it. He says, as it is to have legal disputes against one another, these small matters is already a defeat for you. You're already defeated. If you're living in division and you have not, had, you have not reconciled relationships with one another of brothers, sisters in Christ, it is already a defeat for you. No one wins when this happens. It's not good for either party. Why not rather be wronged and why not rather be cheated is what he says. Wouldn't it be better to lose something that is insignificant when it comes to eternity? Wouldn't it be better to be wronged or cheated in order for Christ not to be dragged through the mud because we as believers are acting just like the world? Paul is saying, hey, you've been wronged. You have been cheated. But don't stoop to the level of taking these small matters to the world. Don't stoop to another person's level of being wrong. No, it's Matthew, in the book of Matthew, it says, hey, turn the other cheek. Matthew Henry says it this way. A Christian should rather put up with a little injury than tease himself and to provoke others by a litigious contest, meaning like court cases. The peace of his own mind and the calm of his neighborhood are more worth than victory in such a contest or reclaiming his own right, especially when the quarrel must be decided by those who are enemies of religion. He's saying, Matthew Henry is saying over this passage, like, it is better, it is peace of our own mind and the calm of his neighborhood that we would lose something that we would have or we would lose a contest, we would not get what we want in order that we do not have quarrel against other believers and especially not taking what this quarrel is to enemies of the religion. Paul is urging them to remember what he tells them in, in chapter one of this book, 1 Corinthians, in verse 10. 
He says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and with the same convictions. Paul is praying and pushing them towards being united together, having no divisions. Guys, we have to understand that in this time, the church was growing fast. Like these things were happening. The church plant are being planted in all these major towns. This is what these books are about that we're reading of Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians. These are all cities, all people where the, the church is trying to grow. And Paul has in his heart that the gospel needs to go forth even to the ends of the earth. And these divisions, these things that are disunifying to the body are going to stop that from going forward. And so he's urging them to stop with the silliness, silliness of these trivial matters. Quit taking each other to court, especially don't take each other to court when it involves unbelievers. Be unified together, understanding the same thing and understanding the same conviction so that the gospel may go forward. Love one another. Be united Because, why the, because the way that you're acting, the way that you're handling this does not look like you have wisdom, does not look like you're mature in Christ. It looks like you are someone of this world. And he says that in verse 9 and 10. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? So he's talking about, hey, the people that you're bringing this to, they're not going to inherit God's kingdom. So don't be deceived. No sexual immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit the kingdom. Paul's like, guys, if you're acting in this manner, you're acting like the world, and this is what the world looks like. And he even says that. I don't think he's making up this list off the top of his head. I think he's using these sins that the Corinthian church have dealt with and are still dealing with this now. Because you see in verse 11, this is the beginning part of it, and he says, and some of you used to be like this. Some of you used to be like this. It's like this does not define who you are now, so why are you acting like it? All you're doing is hurting the church. All you, do, are, all you are doing are disunifying brothers and sisters in Christ. This used to be you. This does not have to be you now. Remember our main idea, we have a call to spiritual maturity and wisdom in Christ. We need that, knowing how to deal with the issues of life in general and how we have conflict with one another. Because it's not just the conflict that is at stake, the, the relationship between two people, but ultimately it comes down to the gospel moving forward. That's what we are about as a church we are gathered here this morning so that we may know Christ, that we may grow in him, so that as we leave, that worship doesn't stop here in this room this morning. That worship is not songs. Worship is not just reading the Bible and praying. That worship filters into our lives as we leave and as we love and we care for other people as we leave this room, that people may see something different in us and that they may run to the gospel. But just as the Corinthian church has these small matters and they're, they're running to the world to solve them, it is hindering that from moving forward. 
And so what Paul is doing, he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to bolster them. He's trying to kind of push them in the way to, to grow in this way. Because he's like, he knows. He's like, hey, some of you used to be like this, but this is not who you are now. And he says this at the end of verse 11. He said, and some of you used to be like this, but now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so basically by saying that, is like, this is who you used to be, but now you know better. Why? Because you are washed. You are spiritually cleansed. The old self, the old rotten self, the dirty flesh was washed away by Christ because of what he did on the cross. All we have to do is have faith in him and that happens. Like, Lord, I know what you did on the cross. I know that you came to save sinners. That is me. I want to put my faith in you. And when that happens, I'm spiritually washed. And what we saw a few weeks ago in baptism is that picture of that happening, that the dead is now washed away and we are risen in new life walking in Jesus. He says, you are washed, you are sanctified. And that process of, of sanctification is something that happens our entire lives, that we are continually growing in Christ. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to have to ask for forgiveness, but we are constantly being sanctified and continued growth in Christ. But as Paul is using this word here, he says, you are sanctified. You are broken from that love of sin. There was a time where it stopped. So all these things that he mentioned, all these things that he's thrown out, like, hey, this was, this was some of you, but you have been washed by Jesus and now you're broken of that love for those things. Now grow and be sanctified in me. Not only did he say we were sanctified and that the Corinthian church was sanctified, he said you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God, that you are counted righteous. That one day when we die or Jesus comes back, when God looks down on our lives and he looks on on my life, when he looks on your life, if you know Jesus and he has washed you and sanctified you, justifying you, he looks on your life and he doesn't see your rotten, sinful self. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Because of this act in our lives, because of what Jesus did, and we are able to have this, we can seek Christ and long for wisdom so that we can handle the small situations in life and we can also see the gospel move forward. It's important that we understand that, yes, we're reading something that the Corinthian church was dealing with and the issues that they had. And Paul was proclaiming these things to them so that they may correct it. May we not be naive to know that it can't happen in this room here, because it can. So how do we stop that from happening? How do we put guards and how do we how do we know that this does not need to filter into this room it's by knowing Christ growing in spiritual maturity growing in wisdom that only he can give not this world so i'm going to ask the band to come back up and they're going to lead us in some songs that we're going to sing but i i want to ask a few questions that may help you process what is going on this morning? First of all, this process of what I just talked about, being washed, being sanctified, being justified, you may have never understood that before in your entire life. You may be in this room like, what is this dude talking about? But Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross 
so that we may be saved, that we may be set free from sin. And we truly don't know how to live in this world until he truly saves us. We can feel like we're making the right decisions. We can feel like we have the best relationships in the world. But ultimately, when we're living in our flesh, we're living in sin, we will mess that up 100% of the time. So it may mean that you just need to know Jesus. That you'd run to him, that you'd walk into his saving grace. It may be you this morning that there are relationships in your life that have been broken because of conflict that was not handled correctly. That you may have been angry, you did not seek wisdom, you, you may have just thrown it out there, you may have blasted them on social media, I don't know what it is. You may have relationships in your family that you're dealing with that you need to seek Christ, seek his wisdom. You may need, as Paul said at the end of our last sermon, you may just need to pray with someone after the service, after we get done singing, and have someone step into that with you, be an arbiter for you. Do you need to seek wisdom to help with any situation that you have in life? We only get it from Christ. We don't get it from this world. We don't get it from self-help books. We don't get it from anything else. We get it from his word and how he's living within us. I don't know where everyone is in this room, but I do know this. Each and every single one of us needs a faith in the saving work of Jesus. We need him to work in our lives. We need him to give us wisdom and we need to continually grow in that wisdom and maturity to the day that we die or the time that Jesus comes back and gets us. So may we run to that this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I just thank you for your bold rebuke to, to the Corinthians. As weird as that sounds, Lord, but well, we, gr we grow and we can mature in the ways that you are teaching the early Christian church how to live together, how to live together in unity, not to be divided, but to be living unified for the sake of the gospel, to love one another well, to care for one another, whether that means to be hurt myself, to be able to love someone else, Lord, may I do that. May I not seek worldly counsel, or may I seek wisdom from you. May I seek wisdom from leadership that has been placed in my life. Lord, we need you to act in our lives. We need you to help us live the way that we are supposed to live because we will mess it up 100% of the time when we're doing it under our own power. But we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.